for real this time. All right, then. Hi, I'm Bryce. And I'm Will. And this is SideQuests, <laughs> a podcast about game design, learning things, and really anything else. A bunch of other stuff. Yeah, we'll not really stay on topic, uh, as per the theme of the thing. Anyway. <laughs> uh, what, yeah. What, what do we want to talk about this time? Yeah, well... Let's see. <laughs> we even have a plan. I yeah, promise. it's true. We have more of a plan than, than usual. Um, there's a couple things. Uh, I want to talk a little bit about a couple of games I've been playing. Mm, um, okay. And then maybe dive into uh, a couple of themes. One theme I wanted to have was was theme. Um, <laughs> so, so we could talk about that a little yeah, bit. Yeah, let's start there and then just see what... what um, before we make too many promises. Segue into to theme okay. about that as well. So I started playing this game called... I believe it's called Dandara. Oh. I got it for the Nintendo Switch. Um, I think it was originally for PC and maybe smartphone. Sounds likely. Uh, and it, it's a it's a Metroidvania where you play as a, a character of Brazilian heroic legend. Um, mm. But I don't know my Brazilian folklore. Um, <laughs> okay. So uh, so I don't I don't understand many of the the kind of references. It is a a Metroidvania, um, which is you know a genre that I. I enjoy a lot mm-hmm. of and and anything that is a Metroidvania that is being in a in like a radically different kind of theme was you know pretty appealing. Um, people in spacesuits or you know warriors with swords just fine, but it's <laughs> it's cool to be you know someone someone different from your your standard kind of fare. So what are you in? Um, in this? So you are you are this this woman Dandara who is involved in fighting for freedom and in, in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting. It has a platforming mechanic where you jump. It has like a gravity reversal mechanic, kind of oh, like like V six times. V V V V V V. I think I think it's six. Um, I always thought it was five. But... I thought it was five too, and then a child corrected me, and then we checked. Um, <laughs> okay. So I. Um, but you can leap from place to place, but you like you leap at an angle, and you can only land on you can only stand on certain kinds of ground. So you can only leap from like certain spots to certain spots. Okay. I'm finding it to both be really fun and really clumsy, because hmm. um, basically you use the left thumbstick to like point this arrow in a certain direction and then you press a button that shoots you over to oh. the spot okay um and it's really fun because you just like zap from place to place and when okay. you're doing it well it just like feels really cool because okay. you just like zap zap in you'd like shoot little energy balls out of your hand and zap out and um because the movement is fun and fast-paced you feel really cool when you're succeeding it mm-hmm. just like feels really good and the how good it feels when you're succeeding makes the clumsiness of it really really frustrating okay because it's like oh I, I don't know you just you get this sense that you should be able to do the things that you're expecting to do. And then for some reason, it frequently doesn't really feel like my fault when I have failed. Mm, Um, I guess that's an interesting question. Like, what is it that makes a failure in a game feel arbitrary or or like the result of clumsy controls or something like that versus... Well, there's a lot of games where, after you've been playing them for a while at least, you do things without feeling like the controller has anything to do with it. Right. Uh, And that's always really nice it's always a good feeling when that's true you just do you know now i jump now i do that you're not like now i press these buttons to right. enact this event and that's a desired state i think in most games unless you know your right. game is about right unless it's being, co-op or yeah <laughs> right well, co-op you know it's own special thing but it's almost always better 
if you can just do it without thinking about how you're doing things. <laughs> There's a cat trying to take my pen right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's, she's very adorable. <laughs> yeah, and, and actually, now that I'm thinking about it, um, I had a very similar... It's different problems, but I had a similar feeling playing Celeste, which is I just had so much trouble consistently diagonal dashing or horizontal air dashing mm. doing the right one. Um, oh, okay. Like the, you know, the difference in where I point the stick to do one or the other was so subtle and small uh, that I was so consistently. And I guess that's like when you do an input and then a different thing happens from the input that you really were expecting to do. Yeah. It just like feels really jarring. And some, frustrating. There's a little work you can do with just like where the padding, you know, there's I, the ideal 45 degree angle. Right. But you don't want it to be the only one you can do. Right. You want to have a little bit of wiggle room on each side. Or you could have it so that it actually knows the exact angle you did and that's what it does. But in a lot of cases, it's better for gameplay reasons if you lock your, your movement to certain options. Like right. You can zap... 90 degrees, 45 degrees up above that, or 90 degrees, you know, straight up, or whatever. Yeah, yeah, you can, in 45 degree increments. Yeah, and that's as much granularity as you need for a lot of things, um, just because if you're more specific than that, you know, if you're... Right, well, and, and if you had to do a 45 degree zap, and you accidentally did a 37 degree zap, like, that would be really frustrating. Right, and also, you a lot of times you just can't even tell. Like, you, you as the player can't understand and predict what your actions are, which yeah. is exactly what you're talking about, it being a problem, where if you are expecting it to be exactly at this one angle, and it turns out you're at some other angle that isn't quite doing it, uh, you just feel like you can't understand how to do things. It's one of the problems with Angry Birds, which is mm. exactly this problem, is, yeah, that feels about 45 degrees, and maybe you are, or it's it's making something up based on how wide your finger is, which point... And that game never feels good about, you know, reproducibility of the action that you took. Right. Unlike, say, um, Scorched Earth, where mm. you literally can dial it in precisely. Right, you can type in a number, and then the next time, that same number is usually there. Right, and you can increment it. You can be like, oh, I want to change my power by four and my angle by seven. Right. It's like, I'm just a little too... Yeah, that game is great. And essentially, Angry Birds is that game. Things don't shoot back at you. Yeah. And you're not a tank. You're an angry bird. Right. <laughs> or you are in charge of some Angry Birds. Yeah. It's not clear what you are. Right, it's true. <laughs> That's one of those things that's funny where you kind of take for granted what the player is. Like it matters or it doesn't matter at all in ways. And you're like, I don't know. That's sort of the true in um, Starcraft as well. Where you are an entity that is separate from the things you're controlling. And I remember you were called a cerebrate as a Yes, when you're Zerg. a Zerg. But like that doesn't matter mostly like there's no you're not actually really in the story right or... yeah you're like a commander right right um, but you, you do have an in starcraft 2 you are jim rayner as terran and like only played the beginning of the terran campaigns but i assume it's similar in the, in the other races as well between missions there's like you're on your ship and you can purchase upgrades and there's right. like a that is the case where you are this well-defined character that right came out of the first starcraft and so it's a lot easier for you to feel like you're 
involved in this person. But then, is Jim Rayner ever a, a unit? I think you are, yeah, I think you are also sometimes a unit. But then, I mean, yeah. it makes sense if you imagine that you're controlling this guy mm-hmm. who you are, but he can give orders over his computer yeah. somehow. Right, and right. you have a tactical map. Or yeah, array. in his power armor. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I'll accept so. it. But Angry Birds is funny because the characters are quite characterful and... But then you're not them. I don't know. There's some. There is something a little funny about that. It's like a god game, but dear God, all you can do is slingshot things. Right. You're like I have <laughs> all this control over this one inanimate object. Yeah. Uh, that game's weird when it comes to what you're doing. It's also goofy and silly. So it's. And I was just thinking about like difficulty and clumsiness, and you know, I'm playing a lot of games that are hard platformers lately mm-hmm. um i mean it's a genre that that i like mm-hmm. um the difficulty curve on dendara is very steep um <laughs> um this has come up so many times in the last week because i was in two separate conversations on monday and tuesday you were there for one of them and then also it came up in the butterscotch shenanigans podcast this week oh. where they talked about how the phrase difficulty curve being steep the concept of a difficulty curve being steep doesn't mean what you think it means. Hmm. Uh, it does mean what you think it means. I just think if you would like to be pedantic about it, then you could argue that it shouldn't mean that. But that doesn't change the fact that it does mean... It means it's hard. Right, yeah. Um, it's unclear what you're graphing when you say the difficulty curve, but that's okay. Right. But it's numbers of difficulty... It's total number of difficulties experienced per time. Yeah. And if you graph that, then it's pretty it, solid. It's solid. It works. Um, but playing this this uh, this game, it, it's hard. It it is a hard game that is made harder by occasional control frustrations, mm. and that's just like a weird feeling. It's funny because like Mario is a platformer that feels really good. Yeah, like the original Mario, you feel like you failed to time your jump or move right so that you hit. Yeah. The bullet bill, the controls just don't feel like something you have to engage with or do. Right. Like you just do the things. Yeah, they're very simple too, right? I mean, I think mm-hmm. par- partially it's hard to feel clumsier when you're trying to do more complicated things. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that the analog stick is a little bit to blame. Um, mm. Just because it gives you a much wider range of possible inputs which you then might want to do something with, mm-hmm. um, or you might need to snap them into a smaller range. But either way, it's much less clear what I'm doing with my left thumb on the Switch controller versus <laughs> what I'm doing on the Nintendo controller. Right. Having more options is good. I like games where you have options that aren't kill the thing. Right. As, like, things to do. Um, like, Mario can kill things but it's only because it's pretty incidental to right. what you're trying to do as mario right you're you're even not really trying to kill bowser it mm. just so happens that to get past bowser the simplest thing to do is to kill him or just let him kill himself you're already past him when you pull the bridge out from under him you're kind of that's yeah. kind of unnecessary <laughs> did, did you really have to drop <laughs> me into that lava <laughs> yes bowser yes i did so so he's a little mario is a little bit murderous <laughs> Yeah, you don't have to kill any Goombas. Yeah. I think there's some points where you have to bounce off of the head of flying Koopa Troopers. Yeah. Troopas. And then they probably plummet to their doom. But they always seem to survive when they land. Right. Yeah. Well, even when you hit them, 
they just yeah. end up in their shell and yeah. you can pick them up. Terminal velocity is very low in the Mario world, I assume. Nothing ever takes any damage from falling. <laughs> yeah, you don't even. And yeah. you fall from the clouds. Yeah. Like a number of times. So I was playing this game. It's interesting. I like it. Uh, I'm a little bit frustrated by it. It's I feel like I'm bouncing off of games lately and like trying mm-hmm. to find a game that I really want to like get stuck in and play. Mm-hmm. And that's hard. It's a little bit has to do with me and a little bit has to do with the games um but i really like i mean i like the idea of there being metroidvanias with interesting movement mechanics based on themes that are you know different and interesting so i i went and bought it kind of sight unseen i'm happy having having done so but yeah i've bought some games just because they were on the top of the list i don't know how i feel about it because they're fine i don't know like i think there's a lot of games out there that are just fine right if you're not too worried about playing the very best game just buying a game and playing it for a little while is a perfectly reasonable use of your time and money i think picking a random free game is not a good use of your time yeah very rarely free games tend to not have very interesting mechanics Mm -hmm. yeah Uh they're either some kind of skinner box so they're designed to make it so that you can give them small amounts of money in order to yeah or even just small amounts of eyeballs right like Mm -hmm. oh yeah 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 like, most of the games that I see kids play, the free Flash games that I see them play, have some kind of grinding mechanic where you get some currency every time you go through the level and you upgrade your, your like, Rogue Soul. Um, oh, Rogue Soul 2. <laughs> um, and the kids become very obsessed with their progress, and mm-hmm. then they will argue about who gets to use what computer, because for some mysterious reason, they all decide to get all their saved games and progresses on the same computer so that they fight over it. And I tried to explain that if they just would start on a different computer... Right, they'd have other progress. have progress on a different computer. Or you could try to get all of your progresses up to the same level. Yeah. That would be a good goal. But no. Yeah, I don't know. Have you been playing anything of late? So the thing that I've been playing of late is actually not a video game, but Pathfinder. Yes. Which is fun. Um, it's largely an excuse to sit around and make jokes about situations that you're pretending to be in. Right. Well, fun with friends is fun. Right. That's true. And so we should maybe get t-shirts that say that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so, so fun with friends is fun. And so that's one of the appeals of this game is you can sit around and joke and make things up and tell stories together. Um, I'm going to throw maybe a controversial statement out here, which is I'm going to use Pathfinder and D&D interchangeably. Great. Because I often think of it as D&D, and I understand that people who care a whole lot might not like that. that Yeah, so I guess I want to dive a little bit further into that, and I want to say... You wouldn't use Pathfinder and Fiasco interchangeably. No, I wouldn't. Fiasco Um, is another great role-playing game that mostly involves storytelling, but with, like, dice as an incidental thing. So we're going to use D&D to mean traditional fantasy game where you have a combat-heavy rule set, and you have to roll a bunch of dice. Yeah, and you fight monsters. There's a lot of rules devoted to how you kill each other and wear things or hold things to die or not die. I will also point out that they are primarily collaborative group games. So the players that aren't the the game master, uh, the GM, are working together towards a common goal. Right. Which is not true of Fiasco. 
Oh, I see. Uh, yeah. Fiasco, in fact, is way better if you have totally conflicting goals and end up uh, right you know yeah although there's like the there's the overarching goal of telling a good story Mm -hmm. um right there's a sense in which the players and the game master are collaborating to tell a good story and right in dnd there's also in fiasco it's better if you think of acting not so that the best thing happens for your character because you talk about it being you, like mm-hmm, you right. are doing, the, I, or I'm going to go and knock on the door and do something, something, whatever. Yeah. And it's better when you play that game not to act in the best interest of your character or have things happen in the best interest of your character. One of the best things you can do is put your character in a terrible situation. Right. Uh, and so that is why it's fiasco, um, is that you end up being like, Oh, I know. I need to be where all of the bad guys with guns are because that's better storytelling than not doing that. And so the, the rules of Fiasco are primarily about storytelling, mm-hmm. um, and there isn't a game master, right? So, that's so true. in a game of Fiasco, you're all sitting around. You all have made characters that you are, but it's mm-hmm. all your shared job to get each other into trouble. Yes. Um, whereas in D and D. The dungeon master's job is to get you guys into trouble, uh-huh. and then you're supposed to get out of it. Right, and acquire as much treasure and yeah. uh, experience as you can. So I've been playing this. I've never actually played D&D before. I have made up my own role-playing games and run them with children. I have played Fiasco a bunch and some other uh, role-playing games that are you know, people rolling their own yep. game. Um, but I've never actually played D&D. Like, like real D&D. Right. Until very right. recently. Roll a D20 to hit. Right. And then for some <laughs> unknown reason, roll other dice to decide how much damage you do. This is the one piece of this game that I... Well, there's a lot of pieces that I think that are, like, ridiculous. Like, why do you have to roll again? I feel like it's excessive... Yeah, well, there's a couple things that are excessive about the the dice rolling in D&D, I think. And one is just a like really broad game design issue, which is just that it just takes time. Mm. Um it takes time to roll dice. Uh, there's fun and tension in dice mm. like dice rolling is about tension. Yeah. So the dice rolls should be meaningful, right? Like in risk you roll a lot of dice. Yeah. But they all are pretty meaningful. Yeah. You're never like, I'm making this attack and whatever. If I die, meh. Yeah. It's like, it means a lot. And, oh, <laughs> but, I lost an army. Maybe one of the reasons it feels so slow in D&D is that one of the major outcomes is nothing happened. Mm-hmm. Whereas yeah. in Risk, you either win or you lose yeah, that's when true. you make that dice roll. Yeah. And we're like level one people tromping around a tower. Yep. And you just miss most of the time. Yeah. Like you fail a lot. And I don't think failure is inherently bad. Like, fiasco is all about failure and yeah. how it affects your story. And failure is actually a really compelling, interesting thing to happen. And it's it's good. Uh, but in this case, you because you're like, I'm trying to accomplish something, just having a 5% chance of completely and utterly failing well, almost everything you do and more than 5% for most things and a lot of it's not it's not failure it's just not succeeding yet yeah which you know in life that's a good attitude towards towards failure right but in a game 
maybe it's just like basically a good truism that the outcome of an action that you perform should never be nothing happens. Yeah, that might be true. It's funny, in um, the X-Wing game, there's dice rolling and determining whether you hit. And the statistics of those dice, because they have a number of hits on the hit die and a number of Mm -hmm. defends on the other one, is you are more likely to hit than to not hit. Right. For the most part. That's like, if you just do a straight roll off and whatever. Right, obviously there's barrel rolls and, you know, target locks and... (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) But if you just do the statistical analysis of the dice, which I've done because I think that's fun, yeah. um, then there are more possible die rolls that involve hits. If you're both rolling the same number of attack dice versus mm-hmm. defense dice, um, there's more possible die rolls with hits than possible total die rolls of misses. Right. Um, which is good because it means that as the game goes, you are likely to have everyone lower their health yeah. over and over and over again it's because you want the game to end. Right. And that's just a better outcome than, you know, you might wish that you could miss or, be, you know, dodge everything. Right. But it, ultimately, you would have, be playing a worse game. Right. If and, you avoided every hit. Yeah, right, because your opponent could dodge everything. That's right. The... <laughs> right. And you would be there for hours. Yeah. And I've played some long games of that. And it's... Yeah. There are these things about the rules that are just really unsatisfying and they seem weird. It's mm-hmm. like why I really don't understand why this is the system and how it's persisted for so long mm-hmm. and how this thing is so popular. And that's basically around the combat system mm-hmm. um, and basically around the sheer number of dice and how long it takes to fight the three goblins that ambushed you on the way to town. Right. Um, and why did you spend two hours of your evening dealing with this three goblin problem? Right. Um, yeah. But nonetheless, there's that tedium, but it's really fun. Mm-hmm. So what's fun about it? What, what have you been enjoying about it then? <laughs> right. One thing I really like is actually a lot of the stuff that's outside of the combat is fun. I mean, there's there's some interesting group dynamics going on in this particular group right. of people. like Which ideally there always are. <laughs> right. So, for example, I'm true neutral, I think. And there's some definitely like lawful good people on the team. And then some chaotic people. Mm-hmm. And, and basically... It's interesting because there's this thing like, I'm not going to steal religious icons. And I'm like, I'll do that. (laughs) (laughs) Yoink. Uh, And so like, there's what should we do with this bound up person who's trying to kill us? And I'm like, we should kill him. And they're like, we can't kill them. That would be evil. Wouldn't be that evil. Wouldn't be that evil. (laughs) (laughs) Trying to kill us. So there's some interesting dynamics within the group. And it's kind of more fun when those things play out than when the actual role playing aspects of it are kind of fun. So, and that's more of the storytelling stuff, like what I really like from Fiasco and some of the other things. I find it all generally fun. We've done like one full adventure and then we went off to another place to find a mining town, something, something, giant centipede, something, something. Sounds bad. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, there's maybe vampires. I haven't figured it out yet because we ended just when we got to the town. And killed a centipede. <laughs> that was that was what happened. Some other stuff that's really interesting, which is there's a whole lot of work about the character creation. Yeah. That is, I think, terribly designed. Okay. But there's a lot of depth to be had. 
and exploring the depth of the character building, character growing, the types of things you can be. And there's a lot of stuff around the world building that's yeah. really interesting. The part that's terribly designed about it is it's so overwhelming. Like, how do you get into this? Right. But but at the same time, the breadth and the depth that you, like, get a hint at by mm-hmm. how overwhelming it is yeah. is really fun in a way. Right. And I would like there to be that depth but like a shallow way into it yeah that doesn't involve like needing to make decisions nine levels earlier about which feats you get because you're gonna want this other one to be that kind of game like right and that that actually just feels really video Mm gamey and like Bad video game designy, where yeah. you know you're you start you have like a tech tree or something, right. and you're like I don't know what biotechnology is going to get me, right. but I can pick physics or biotechnology, and right. then all right now I have I don't have nuclear weapons I have you know chemical weapons okay, right. and then you're like are these functionally equivalent <laughs> in the end right Maybe. what what gameplay choice have I made right um, and it's bad to have to make you read about the entire future of the game in order to make a decision when you haven't even started playing yet. Right. Like, I don't know why they make you do that. And you go through and you have to pick feats and you have to pick abilities and then you have to pick spells and you have to pick like all of these different aspects about your character before you even know why you want anything. Right. And that's really bad. And you, and you have no sense of what you're going to be doing later. Right. Or even... Or what your friends are doing. Right. Um, or how your GM is going to react to certain yeah. decisions you make. Because a lot of it revolves around one person understanding how things are going and tweaking things so that everybody has a good time. Right. Like, it's a, it's a collaborative process between everyone to have a good experience. Yeah. Right. And, and the game master is like the host of the party. Right. They, they like got to go from person to person and be like check in and <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh yes, you have everything you need. Oh yes, here's some things to kill right. or some rope to climb or some whatever you need to make everyone feel useful and like they're a good participant. And it's kind of dumb when you realize that you've taken some ability that's never gonna happen. Right. I don't know. I found that the best way to do it was to sort of. Pick some things about a character and be like, that's what kind of thing I'd like to do. This is how my character should be. And I'm going to pick things that are relevant to the character because it was a way to ignore aspects of the game. Right. And then you don't have to worry about the rules and you're not trying to, you know, be the most effective. You're just like, I want to be this guy. So who is your character then? Tell me about this guy. So I'm a bard. Betrick the Bard. Very good. Yeah. So he's a glam rocker. That is the basic concept. So like bright, gaudy outfits. Stealth is not something that this character is interested in, which was great because then I could be like all the abilities that revolve around stealth or subterfuge or anything like that. You just ignore them. Like, I don't need that because that's not who this person is. But by having a character, I could define kinds of abilities that I could use or ignore or whatever. Yeah. So that was good. And the whole idea is like getting there in the middle of everything, trying to get the attention of everyone and maybe being the distraction as a role. And so that helped. And I have plenty more to say about it, but I don't think I need to go into it very in depth. And so the goal is to help eliminate possibilities 
Um, and using a, the character to do that, I found a very helpful way to, to do it. Also, I, I enjoy reading about this world and like yeah. the things that are in it. And like the, the Pathfinder world is kind of nice because they've got basically there's all these different regions. And if you can think of like a fantasy storytelling right. locale, it's there. Yeah. So like I'm a pirate. So I came from the piratey section <laughs> and it's standard pirate everything. Yeah. They're great in just the total embrace of tropes. Right. Every trope that you can think of is a whole country <laughs> that you could do that trope in. Uh, and there's this big world and they've really done a whole lot, which again is really overwhelming. You know, I spent like a day or two reading all of the lands yeah. in this world uh, to like try to pick where I would be from. And then I was like, I see pirate. That's what I'm doing. And it hasn't come up mostly other than in some of the like storytelling sections of right. the game, which is fun. But yeah, so it, it's a little funny that one thing that they've managed to do is get every possible theme available so that you can without even changing worlds change the theme of the game right which is nice and you could be like oh we're gonna go be over here now right if you want to be kind of steampunky gnome right that's a, fighting in a mech you probably can there yeah there's a place for that <laughs> and if you want to be a wizard with an airship doing sky piracy you probably can i've heard that you can buy airships in, the, <laughs> in this game there's it's like built in yeah and so whatever you want to do it's there's somewhere in in this for you which means you know you're a little overwhelmed by choice again but as long as somebody else is deciding what modules yeah the game master is but you could just pick, like, oh, yeah, we're going to do... Like, apparently one of the players in this game is also in another mm -hmm. game that is all pirates. And it's, like, in the pirate right. place. And, like, that's just a and way then, you can... then you have a boat, perhaps. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know too much about that game. but And there are boats, and there's a whole... Section on boats. Uh, Pathfinder, I mean, D&D &D is, is very funny. There's so much there. I don't have, like, a, a big answer, and I don't think we, we need to answer the question, but it just poses this question of what is it about a rule system mm -hmm. that helps you tell these fun stories? And, you know, to what extent mm -hmm. does the rule system push you forward to have these storytelling experiences and to what extent does it kind of like jam up the works yeah um, and it's some of each yeah and also it's interesting the different rule systems really they shape what kinds of stories you're going to tell like right. these are all going to be hero adventure stories for the most part right so and things are probably going to die right other things mostly yeah so we can kill things you know but then the say the fiasco rules really make you do completely different kinds of storytelling right uh where the idea of you start weak and become a god is like not available to that but it tells a much more interesting complex kind of story where there's like different people having different motivations which i think you could have in D, &D if you wanted but ultimately you're going to travel through that mine and right yeah the rules push you towards stories that involve mm -hmm. large physical conflicts right. um, yeah, and yeah. big epic plot events rather yeah. than like small character relationship building. Right. Um, and then you can sneak some of that. Yeah, in. You, yeah you do, do both, obviously. Right. Um, but yeah, the rule set, I think, helps you do things. Like it sort of provides the scope of possible... Right, activity. and so it narrows the scope to a set of things, which means... You're going to do something instead of wondering what it is you should do. Um, right, right, right. right. You're like, oh, I have this acrobatics skill. <laughs> that means I could probably try to leap places. 
Cool. Um, do you want to take a break and then talk about theme? And yeah, let's talk about theme after these messages. There are messages. We're just gonna probably go. And we're back. Yeah. Um, so let's talk about theme. Yeah. So the other day, week, whatever, I just wrote you an email. Mm-hmm. Um, I was thinking about a board game design class, and I was thinking about um, themes in board games. Mm-hmm. And, and I said, hey, Bryce, what are some games that have good themes? Yeah. Um, and you, you made a list, and you had some, and I, we had some thoughts. But mm-hmm. And I don't know how much you want to talk about board games versus video games or theme in general, but that was the, the genesis of, of my thinking about this question. Yeah, and I love talking about board games also. Yeah. Uh, not just limited to the digital realm. I do did have some thoughts about this when we were talking about this being a topic. Mostly I was thinking that like it's very interesting cuz board games tend to be far more abstract right than video games. So their theme is often more tenuously connected to the mechanics than it is in a video game. Right. To the extent that you don't even necessarily use the word theme to describe video games a lot. It's almost weird to say that Halo is a science fiction shooting themed game. (laughs) Right. But having said that, there's Fallout and uh, Skyrim. Yep. Or or, uh, Elder Scrolls. And those are effectively the same game Mm -hmm. with totally different themes. So, so you can find some examples of this where there is, like, theming of a very similar set of mechanics. Right, but the production values on the theme are so elaborate in a lot of video games mm-hmm. in comparison to, to board games. Yeah, there's a lot more, you know, in a board game, you maybe move a piece and you draw a card and it says books. Right. You're like, great, I have books now. Yeah. And as opposed to like... Because you went to the library. Right. That's the space you landed on <laughs> or the the card you flipped up or whatever it was. When in a video game, often you have moved in, you walk through a door, there's bookshelves all around you, you move through them, you can look at them, you can maybe pull a book off the shelf. And it's actually much more experiential of the same things. So it could be the exact same concept, but you just feel so much more of the theme that it doesn't feel like it's a theme applied to some actions. It's your in there browsing the library. Right. Thinking about earlier, simpler video games, you can see the theme a lot more. Or like, because earlier, simpler video games are more abstract in a lot of the same ways. Like Rogue or whatever. Ones where you're letters. (laughs) Right. And you move around and you're like, oh, we're in a mine now. See the pickaxe and the ore that I found. But even like the many, many product or media franchise tie-in platformers for the Nintendo. Like the Spot 7-Up Spot game yeah. for the Super Nintendo? Right. I think there's one where you play as Bugs Bunny. Um, mm. It's just a platformer. It's just a Nintendo platformer. You collect things and jump on things' heads, probably. Um, you might throw carrots. Right. I've, I've definitely played a 3D Looney Tunes game oh. where I remember almost nothing about it. It was not very good. Right, and and maybe one of the things that is striking about a lot of these games aren't memorable, and it's because maybe the themes and the mechanics just don't tie mm-hmm. in together. And that's a weird thing to say if you're talking about Nintendo-era platformers, because 
it's not like Mario is memorable because of the theme and the mechanics have a really great tie-in. Oh, the plumber <laughs> on mushrooms <laughs> theme? Yeah, if you start to think about the theming of Mario, it's super um, weird. But maybe that's what does work there, is that Mario, the theme of Mario is so loose and arbitrary and weird most importantly you don't have any associations with it you have associations with looney tunes or superman if your media tie-in game doesn't feel like the work of media it's going to be hard because it's a nintendo platformer a lot of very few important works of media really involve like jumping over pits and jumping on things i'm trying to think of a very important movie like citizen kane right with you know jumping over newspapers or yeah there would, there would be there would be little newspapers that had like the sinusoidal movement and you'd have to jump over them and you'd have to get rosebud at the end <laughs> <laughs> right it would be a very it doesn't would, really like loan itself there'd be like piles of money that you had to maybe avoid that would crush you i don't right. know <laughs> anthropomorphic media scandal of some form <laughs> It's been a while since I've seen that movie. I don't actually remember what happens in it. None of that. <laughs> None of that happens in it. Remember the scene where... Right. Yeah, it's funny because board games, sometimes you could maybe do that because you'd be moving pieces around or bidding on something or... Because board games are so abstract, the theme can just be like a little bit of flavor. Mm -hmm. Like a really pure example of this is Flux. Oh. Where yeah. there are versions of Flux that are themed to... There's like Cthulhu flux and, and zombie flux. Zombie flux. And the Monty Python flux is. I don't like the game flux. Yeah. Because mechanically it's dumb. But the Monty Python flux has one of my favorite themed cards of any game. Okay. Which is one, two, five. Mm. And it mechanically in the game replaces every instance of the number three with the number five. That's pretty good. So, like, if a, the rule is draw three, it's now draw five. And while it's in play. Right. It's theming-wise awesome. Yeah. It, it impacts the mechanics. And it's a really interesting way to think about the theme and how it works. Like, that's one of the few examples of Monty Python, of all things, applying a theme into the mechanics. Like, they fit with each other so well. Right. Although one of the reasons I think that works and feels right is that Monty Python is so obsessed with meta-level stuff. Right, um, that's true. Right, like the end of the argument sketch, for example, is really great. The end of the argument sketch is, you know, the standard policeman shows mm -hmm. up. Nope, much too silly. Is it Graham Chapman as the yeah, bully? Yeah, I think. The policeman shows up, and then another policeman shows up. It's like, I'm arresting this sketch because you didn't bother writing an ending. You just had a policeman show up. And they're like, wait a minute, but that's all you did. And then another policeman shows up. And then the very last thing that happens is another hand hits the shoulder of the last policeman and, and then it cuts to black. So, like, that type of meta humor is very up their alley. Right. So, Flux, like, works quite well. Um, mm -hmm. Because Flux is also a game that is primarily about making jokes. The thing that is fun about Flux is the fact that the cards are funny. And mm -hmm. That's the same thing about Munchkin. Yeah. The cards are funny. There's funny pictures and funny concepts and puns. Right. Going back to previous topics, you're sitting around the table with your friends mm -hmm. saying funny things. <laughs> yeah, the problem with all those games is that they're fun once 
or twice maybe. Right. And then afterwards you're like, I got the joke already. Like telling jokes, the same joke again is not necessarily right. a good experience. And it doesn't work as an engine for making your own jokes or making your own mm. stories. It's, uh, right. you know, it's an engine for you appreciating how clever and funny the writers of the game are. Right. Um, and sure, they're funny and clever and that's... Yeah. Great. But games are satisfying to the extent that they are about you and not about not about the game designer. Right. Uh, yeah, a lot of the best games allow you to do... Well, I don't know about a lot of the best games. One way a game can be good is by letting you express your own thoughts and ideas, and that's great. <laughs> yeah. Flux is a really funny example with theme, because mechanics are so distinct from the theme. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I can't remember. I might have been on Board Game Geek. It was somewhere mm-hmm. that I read a definition of theme, which was... A convenient source of adjectives and nouns and verbs um, to describe your game mechanics. <laughs> um, That's true. Basically, you're in the game actually going to roll dice, move pieces, draw cards, right. uh, and then put cards down to change how things right. move. Or You might move uh, cards from place to place. Right. Um, Whatever. That's what you're doing. But if you can apply another verb, like, oh, I'm buying this card, so it goes from that place to a place in front of me. Right. Or the buy is a verb added to that action. All you're doing, you're drawing a card, right. essentially. Yeah. Or, you're- or you're moving a card from zone A to zone B. Um. <laughs> right. And, like, that's not a thing. That's neither fun nor memorable. Right. And so adding the theme is like, oh, yeah, I totally bought the awesomest card in the game and now I can draw it every once in a while and get a bajillion points. There's a sense in which some of the theme words and the theme kind of structures are just shorthand for game mechanics. Mm -hmm. Um, So Dominion is terribly theme integrated. Yeah, it's true. There's a few exceptions of well-themed cards, like Pirate Ship, my favorite themed card in that game because you spend the early game pillaging your other players and getting money and then you spend the end of the game spending all of your money that you've accumulated in the first half right that's great when you play it early on it attacks your opponents and then when you play it later you get stuff based on how often you attack your opponents right and that fits the theme of a pirate ship and like maybe the pirate career of attacking people and then retiring to an island somewhere or whatever you're you're doing but in general there's nothing village like (laughs) about drawing a card and getting some extra actions right i mean you could come up with some you're like well there's a lot of buzzing activity in villages (laughs) (laughs) which lets you experience So now there's things happening what drawing a card means in that game is like not even bothered to be themed right it's plus one card that's all it says and so to a certain extent it's great that it's a village mm-hmm. because that's an English word that I know. Right. Um, and, and I can remember that right. more easily. And there's fishing villages and there's mining villages and there's right. all kinds and, of... And then some of that's fun because then you have the mining village, which you can destroy to right. get you know to get extra value once. Um, <coughs> right. And so that is a good piece of theme on top of a bad piece of theme. Right. You're like, we've defined a village as this particular <laughs> subset of mechanics combined together. Yeah. And now we can themify that subset of mechanics by you flavoring it slightly. That's fine. 
I don't remember what a fishing village does. I think it lets you put a card away. And there's some actually good ones, like the bishop getting rid of curses, or like the chapel getting rid of curses. Right. A very themey card. Right. But then it turns out Bridge. that what you actually do with the chapel is destroy all your copper. Um, right. So, <laughs> Which is kind of like... You could tithe it, it. yeah. Uh, You have to, like, work pretty hard. Yeah. The mechanics of that game are so good that you can just ignore the fact that its theming is bad. There's another game that I want to talk about when it comes to theme, which is Puerto Rico, Mm -hmm. which has, like, a horrendous theme. It's about enslaving people and populating Puerto Rico during the colonist days. And they even write it in the description, the brown colonist tokens. Uh Uh-huh. And they're painted brown. Yeah. And you put them to... They're colonists. Not slaves in any way. Right? Uh, And you put them to work in your field, on your plantation. (laughs) It's, it's like, really bad. Right. Um, They could have themed it anything, but they're like, how about you enslave people as part of this game? Which is bad. But the, the game is good. It's fun. It's an interesting set of mechanics. They could have themed it anything else. Right. You could be colonizing the moon. Right. Or like some other planet. And then they were colonists. But they actually chose the like this period of history to set it in. And there's no like right. commentary on the yeah, and and, and it's doing that. I, I wouldn't want to suggest that you can't or shouldn't make a game set in history and set around you know negative things in history but but to do so without acknowledgement right it's not like about how that was truly horrible for the people that were moving there right it's like that that would be fine right a a game that just completely unproblematically Mm -hmm. says to you what you are supposed to do in this game is exploit the most indigenous people right. and slaves. You know what I'm going to do with my resources on this turn? <laughs> Buy more people. And like that's something that you do, and you think of it as like they're pawns right. in your yeah, yeah. game. Right, it's like, like a worker placement game or something, right? Yeah, yeah, you you have fields and you put workers in them, yeah. and then or factories and you put workers in them, and then you get goods and then you sell the goods to get money. Yeah, so it's like a pretty pretty standard Euro game worker placement stuff. Yeah. That's fine. But they should just take that whole game, set it in space. Yeah. And no one would have to worry about how blatantly racist it is. Yeah, then you have, you know, terraforming Mars and that's great. Right. And you just have colonists that come and work in your terraforming yeah. Right. And even, you know, and then you could if you still wanted to be doing exploiting people horribly, it'd be like a science fiction dystopia exploiting right. people horribly. And it could be a lesson that you <laughs> learn about how yeah. you shouldn't do that. I don't know. That game is problematic in some number of ways. Right. And it's funny because its theme works very well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's just maybe a bad theme. Right. Um, And the fact that they call them colonists instead of slaves. Right. That's the... It's like they knew what they were doing. Right. And they barely changed anything. And they decided that it wouldn't be good... To call them slaves. Right. But they didn't decide it was bad to have players enslave people. Yeah. (laughs) Right. So there's that. I think I mentioned that in the email. Yeah, yeah. Um, The other game I know I talked about in that was Pandemic. So I realized something about it. I think it is well-themed in, like, it's traveling but based on being nodes on a graph, Mm -hmm. like a graph theory graph. Yep. Um, and that part I think is good. I actually think that the spreading of diseases is pretty well. Yeah, done. that's true. Um, but 
treating diseases by getting cards that match cities and matching symbols, basically. Well, I I think the thing that is not well-themed about Pandemic Mm -hmm. is just the idea that what you have to do to fight a disease is move four particular humans around the world. Right. They have not invented Uh, email in this. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. It also has the strange and mysterious property of the only people in the world who who are fighting the disease happen to be employed by the cdc (laughs) right yeah you start in atlanta Um, and you go around the world everything about curing the disease is i think not well themed but mechanically is fine yeah it's a i think it's a fun game i like pandemic um i don't play it a lot um and yeah. anytime a, someone was gung-ho about playing it, I would play it, but mm-hmm. I will very rarely suggest yeah. it at this point. I feel like in some ways it's a puzzle, and if you have sort of solved the puzzle, it's not as much fun. The puzzle of figuring out what kinds of things you should do on your turn in certain situations. I don't win Pandemic every time I play mm-hmm. it, so I'm sure I could I could still get better at it. Yeah. But... But I kind of feel like I I got good enough to be like, I'm no longer interested in improving. Yeah. I do want to play some more Pandemic Legacy, which... Yeah, I haven't played any uh, of the Legacy games to any meaningful amount. I uh, played Brisk Legacy at November House a little bit. I gave it to Samantha, so we have a copy. The Each. rounds of playing that game are a month. Okay. Uh, can you get two chances at each month, and then time moves on. Oh, so like if you succeed, something happens, and if you fail, something happens. Mm-hmm. And then if, every time you fail, it gives you a benefit, and every time you succeed, it takes something away from you. Uh, That's or, good. Yeah, it, it's your funding level, which is essentially the number of special cards you get. Okay. And so if you succeed, your funding level goes down. And if you fail, your funding level goes up. Which is arguably different from how things work in the world, but... It's nice having an auto-correcting thing, like to make the difficulty stay where you want it to be. I think it's a good system. But we only played the first, like, month or two. I know we lost the first month the first time, and so we played that one twice. Um, But yeah, that game's fun. We should wrap up um, Mm -hmm. relatively soon. But theme is this kind of story or setting... that's that's hung around a set of mechanics. So th- thinking about it from a from a video game perspective, the the line between mechanics and and theme is much much fuzzier in video games. Yeah. Um, right. You're like, do I swing a sword or shoot a gun? And like that says a lot about mm-hmm. like what kind of world you're in. Right. And maybe this is even just from like a design perspective. Mm-hmm. It seems like many board game mechanics you might start with a mechanic. Mm-hmm. Um, and then think of a theme that fits it. Mm-hmm. Um, but in in video games, you are usually trying to represent something so precisely. It seems very unlikely that someone would make The Legend of Zelda and think, well, I want to shoot a rectangle out of something. And what should that rectangle be? <laughs> right. No, it starts with, I want to go on an adventure and I want to sword things in this adventure what's swinging a sword going to be like in this game right um right but like the theme is so built into the starting point i guess yeah um there might be examples where somebody's like what if we took all these mechanics and changed the theme of it like yeah and that's how you get fallout 3 or right you know other things that i was thinking about theme is that you know i i work with kids um and frequently make games with kids or or help kids make games Mm -hmm. And especially in, in board games, 
kids, you know, at an early age are just all about theme. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have no real interest in mechanics to the extent that they will make, you know, the, the boringest roll and move games. And they'll just be really, really excited oh, right. about their themed roll and move game where when you land on this square, you're stuck in a giant spider's web. Right. Um, and if you have the torch card, you right. can escape. And there's like a ridiculous amount of complexity. That yeah. Had. And there's just all these random cards and these random mechanics. And it's mm-hmm. all very, very deeply themed. Um, right. And then you run into the problem where, like, you want the, to fit the theme, you make these mechanics that aren't good because you're like, no, 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 you have to figure out how, to, like, you know, you're trying to represent something. And so you make so much complexity to try to represent all those things perfectly. It doesn't make sense to be able to climb with that much stuff. So <laughs> you ha- we're going to add a weight encumbrance mechanic to our roll and move right board game or something you're like no 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 that's not fun you've ruined like, your game by making it right. too realistic you hit the cliffs and then if you have the rope right. you can skip one of the sections of the track <laughs> but if you have carrying more than 10 objects right. you can't but like there's just one line that right. you're moving down yeah, yeah but all you're doing is rolling right <laughs> you're like it's very easy to fall into that trap and so, like, really, board games have to have this level of abstraction. And video games do also. So yeah. abstraction is really important to both video games and board games. Because the computer is handling so much more of the math. Yeah, it can all crunch all these mechanics under the hood. You don't right. need to know right. that 75 dice rolls happened. Right. And so it's fine to have more mechanics. Which is one reason that I think... D&D-themed computer games are more fun in combat than... Because oh, yeah. <laughs> you just click and say, no, I'm going to attack this thing until yeah. it dies. It does lose the ability to do anything you want. Yes. Um, and that's the only problem. Uh, a lot of it is the invention of ways your character backflips into battle that are yeah. really fun. Um, or like pulling ropes and dropping chandeliers and whatever you want to do. There's a lot of things... Um, and it would just be, you lose that, but you don't have to determine whether or not you're flat-footed. Right. Or encumbered. Right, or um, what the cover bonus for... Right. And I blinded them, so does that mean they're <laughs> plus two to hit me? Minus two? The only other thing I want to mention is we did not talk about like themes like love mm. or that kind of thing. Right. Which is like another way that games are themed. Yeah, that's true. Um, But I don't think we have enough time to do that now. Uh, And that might be... I just wanted to draw attention to our our deficiency. Right, yeah, that we have only talked about this one particular definition of theme, which, you know, is uncharitably the convenient source of adjectives, nouns, and verbs. (laughs) It's That's a fine definition of what the Um, theme of a board game is. But then uh, the other one, I guess you could say, the other definition of theme would be like Puerto Rico is themed how convenient it is to exploit the masses for your gain. They're both what it's about in a certain mm-hmm. sense. There's right. different senses of aboutness. Right. And maybe we should talk more about the other kind yeah. later. Yeah. Um, there's a, obviously just an enormous amount that you could say about theme. Um, and we certainly haven't exhausted this topic, much like any of the other topics we've talked about on previous episodes. Yeah. We did manage to talk a lot about it, though. So yeah. <laughs> that's so. good. But um, yeah, I think we're just about ready to sign off, unless there's anything you want to add. I think I just added it. So if you are interested in 
responding to anything we said, telling us how wrong we are or a counterexample or another supporting example or something like that, yeah. you can always send us an email at contact at sidequestspodcast.com. It's a multiple side quests, one podcast. Yeah, and if you have any anything to say at all, we're happy to talk about a lot of things, but if we also like like to hear from you. So. Yeah, and um, you can also review us on iTunes or any other place you happen to be listening to us from. Although there's some certain benefits to iTunes. That- right. We assume that, in general, things can be reviewed on many platforms. Yeah. Um, and that can be in the form of words or, like, likes. Yeah. Stars. I want thumbs. all the stars. Yeah. Thumbs up. Plus ones. Give us your thumbs. <laughs> Lend me your thumbs. <laughs> um, yeah. And one of the best things you could do is just tell a friend. Yeah. That like this podcast yeah we'd uh we'd love to to get get some more folks folks listening it's it's fun to yammer on but it's more fun when we when we know you're out there (laughs) enjoying our yammering i look at statistics sometimes it would be better if they were bigger ones (laughs) anyway uh thanks for listening i'm bryce and i'm will and this was sidequest bye bye Thank you.